What's going on, everybody? You are listening to the Playing Out Podcast. My name is Carl Markowski, and I thank you for joining me uh, in these crazy, crazy, crazy times that, uh, that we're going through. It's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing that, uh, that we're all going through. And I don't know if it's bringing us closer or if it's, a sh- if it's distancing us more from the material things in life. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's really crazy, strange times that we're all going through. Um, some obviously worse off than others. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping and wishing for the best for everybody out there. Uh, you know, not only everybody listening, but, you know, family members uh, and just everybody in general. I hope uh, I hope everybody does well and we get through this. I, uh, I really do. Uh, this episode is brought to you by theplayingonpodcast.com. Go check it out. Give it a look-see. Uh, it is brought to you... Well, the the website is brought, uh, brought to me by Rusty Glaze and Constant Pursuit. Um, he's making all kinds of websites for... Uh, paintball fields for individuals uh, and he decided to help me out with this one uh, which I'm truly grateful for and I appreciate thank you Rusty big shout out but uh, but yeah we have all kinds of information over there on uh, the playing on podcast.com uh, if you guys have any questions or would like any further information uh, there's a l- little email you can send over and uh, and I can have those answered for you or social media or however you want to contact me um, I'm all over the place, uh, but but yeah, thank you, Rusty, for uh, for helping me out with that. Appreciate it. We are also brought to you by uh, Charm City Paintball, who makes some amazing headgear. And if you head over to his uh, Facebook, he has loaded up some uh, some new headgear that he has just put out. The, the, the stuff is so good. The the materials are amazing. Uh, they're nice and dense. They wear really well. Um, not only literally on your head, but also through the washer. I like to wash my stuff and, and dry it and hang dry it um, at times, depending on the material. But his stuff, it, it all lasts. It's it's great quality, um, and you know I just can't say enough you know really good things about his uh, quality of work. I know there's a lot of pros wearing his stuff now. Uh, you guys can even go over and check out his reviews on Facebook. Um, it's just it's it's great product. And I'm really glad that I was able to, uh, to do some work with him. I know Brad McCurley was wearing uh, some headgear. Nick Laval just got some new stuff from him. But, uh, but yeah, go check him out if you're in the game right now for some, uh, for some new headgear. And, uh, and he can swing something your way. We are also brought to you by Melavio, who is a CB- CBD superstore. Uh, I call them a superstore. They call themselves a superstore because they are... Super dupa. They have all kinds of stuff from tinctures to topicals. Uh, they have flower, animal CBD, which I give my little pup pup a, um, a peanut butter treat with some CBD in it to help him out because he's a little bit older. But uh, they also have edibles and uh, they have all kinds of stuff going on right now. So, and they are a, uh, a smaller business, so please show your support and, uh, and throw some business their way. I stand by their product. I think it works great. I, I use a lot of the flower along with um, for like my little nightcaps, and then I use the topicals for my knees. And I also use their honey, which is delicious, and it supports uh, local veterans. 
So if you guys are uh, if you guys are looking for some CBD and a, a good company to do business with, I highly recommend Melovio. And on top of that, you can get 15% off your entire order if you type in capital T P O P at checkout, which is really sweet because that uh, everybody needs a little something uh, you know nowadays with what we're going through. So that is Melovio. Dot com m e l l o v e o dot com oh yeah this episode is with cowboy roy richard and i have uh, i've gotten to know this guy over the years uh, he's played with cap factory bushwhackers uh, avalanche excessive where i was able to uh, become a friend the, the dude is great, man. He's he's a great person. He has a great personality, uh, solid paintball player, and uh, an all-around nice guy. Smiles all the time. It's a good thing, man. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to him, and uh, I thought this was a good one. I, and, and it was nice. We talked about all kinds of stuff, and uh, very informative, and uh, yeah, just, just good times. Appreciate it. So yeah, so here is the episode with Cowboy Roy. You look the same that you always have ever since I can remember meeting you. Except for a little, little more gray hair, a little, little fatter. It's all character, yeah. man. It's all character. It's just battle wounds, baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's w- thinking about it. Like I remember, I'm trying to think if I knew you before, um, excessive. And I don't know if I did. Well. I remember when you were on Tipman Effect, and I think didn't you play for Brass Eagle All Stars at one point? I played for I played for them for one event, and that was 2004. Uh, I think it was San Diego NPPL or something like that, um, because I, uh-huh. I I couldn't play for. Uh, excessive because they already had the roster set for that time Mm -hmm. it was the oh it was the event where the men won and they beat excessive and that was when that was when nikki like smashed the um the chair and everything and i guess the all the guys who played for the men were all like drunk and everything and they still won the event or whatever it was yeah i remember that one but uh yeah i played for brass eagle um then that at that one time i th- yeah i think we crossed paths like a little bit back then because i i think at some point at around that time we were still like pros were still playing like some you know divisional teams right right like when you were on tim and effect or that you were still playing against pro teams and stuff yeah i think that's where you know we first crossed paths but i didn't we didn't start hanging out or really talking until we were both on excessive together in uh was that was six yeah six yeah oh, oh six because i was i joined them at the end of oh four all of oh five was was it did you come on to expand the second team or to expand the x-ball team both okay so i came i came on board at the same time baines and uh uh taco did that's so right. when when Avalanche implo- imploded, uh, the the three of us came over and, and jumped on uh, with the excessive. That's yeah. It so. was like yeah. It, it who was it? Um, 
was that the same? No, because I think Rusty and all them guys were... They were there before that. And then you guys were like the last ones yeah, to come on. I'm not sh Yeah, I'm not sure. Because I know they, they came over like after like the whole Miami Effect thing, right? Right. And I'm trying to remember because 04 and 05 I played with Avalanche. Mm -hmm. Or Capalanche. You know, that was our name, Capalanche. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then in 06, yeah, at the end of 05, uh, Avalanche fell apart, and the three of us jumped on to Excessive. And I, I can't remember if they were already there, but that was the year that that you know everyone was promised the world by the uh, the owners of the excess Excessive Energy Drink and all that. Yep. So. Yeah, we know how. Not that, me, but how yeah. that, yeah, no, not me, dude. I was completely on the other side of the fence on that whole thing the entire time. Yeah. Like, it, but yeah. I mean, it was an experience. It was a, it was a learning experience for sure. Um, I can't complain at all about that. Um, no. But, so, have you? Are you from California? Yeah, I was born and raised in Huntington Beach. Oh, that's a nice little spot to grow up in. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I mean, it was that was one of the coolest things when they started. You know, when they made the announcement that they were going to do a tournament on the beach. In Huntington Beach, the place I was born and raised, you know, mm -hmm. that was just that was so. I remember just being so stoked on that 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 you know, my my thing that I enjoyed most in life was coming to my hometown. Yeah, you know, because I still hung out with a lot of people I grew up with, and a lot of them didn't really know what paintball was. I had a couple friends that played it, you know, with me in high school. Right, but. You tell people paintball, and some of my friends with side eye look at me like, "Oh, cool nerd," you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they got to come down and see what it was all about, and kind of change the, you know, the their perspective and uh, what they thought paintball was. You know, they thought I was mm -hmm. an Achilles or, you know, cosplaying out in the woods. What's so, crazy is I feel like people still feel that way, or think that way rather. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that still have that that mindset you know when i talk to to people i still try and recruit people to come out and play you know people in my you know later in life like my children's you know friends parents and stuff like that they yeah somehow people ends up in in, in, a, in a subject or we're discussing it and i'm like you know come out and play and they always are like oh yeah you know like so were you like a sniper I'm like no no i wasn't a sniper so why did you ever go into the military uh, a, yeah because yeah, it's one thing that paintball taught me is like, dude, we were at like the top 1% of something in the entire world. Mm -hmm. And I still go play walk-ons from time to time and get punked out by 12-year-old kids. <laughs> <laughs> the most unpredictable, dude. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, all the so, time. If it taught me anything, it's that I don't ever want to be in war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I remember Huntington Beach. Uh, I actually didn't play it until the year after they decided to throw turf down, which mm. looking back, like, I, it was very nostalgic. I feel with playing on the sand and having it directly on the beach and this whole, it looked like a pain in the ass though. Like to me, when I was watching everything happen and watching all the videos afterwards, cause I wasn't able to go to the actual event. I was watching it. I goes, first off, anybody running off the break looks tired as shit. As soon as they get to their bunker, the diving was terrible. <laughs> like the, you, you just literally just hit the ground, the sand, and you just stopped. On top of that, you probably got all kinds of sand inside of everything. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. 
it just it looked like a nightmare but uh, it's i'm sure it wasn't long after that where that like, we had to do something about this fucking sand because it's yeah. not happening <laughs> yeah no playing in sand was not a good idea oh that was terrible playing on top of turf on top of sand now that was cool that was cool uh, that was, a, that, that was fun. You know what was not cool was at um, the Boston 7-Man event out front of Gillette Stadium when it mm-hmm. was literally like the carpet turf oh, yeah. that they laid out, and it was just concrete underneath that. Oh, yeah, my it was God. terrible. Dude, my, no wonder my knees feel like dog shit. Yeah, especially <sighs> the, the way you ran out there and dove. I mean... <laughs> I was more athletic back then, so you know I was I was kind of more of that mid, you know, insert back player, depending mm-hmm. on the, the field and whether it was seven man or X ball. Um, so I still got you know down and dirty out there, but uh, yeah, guys like you and Rusty, guys that were running, you know, running the fifty, every every point or every game on stuff like that. Yeah, I would. Uh, I, I wasn't jealous of you. Oh, no, dude, <laughs> it was a lot easier. I can say my. I took a lot less toll on my body playing seven man than what I did playing X ball because X ball is just so repetitive, just throwing yeah. yourself into the ground point after point after point. When seven man's, you know, you have those eight prelim games, to where theoretically it could just be probably maybe five, four or five of those I'm running far, yeah. and you know, so it's. Especially back in the old X ball format too, where you played what was it thirty minute matches originally, or was it sixty? I think it was 25-minute halves, so yeah, I think so it was 50 it's, minutes. I just remember seeing some of the scores, you know, going up into the 20s, you know, just <laughs> being ran up. It's like, this is crazy. It's crazy. Like, I feel like there were there were so much – the games were so much longer back then, but uh, <laughs> um, I feel like the games were so much longer back then. Hi. Okay, good night, Emma. Say hi. Oh, he, he did say hi. Okay. <laughs> Hi. Love you, sweetheart. Hello. Go see mama. So it's your name. Emma, go see mama. <laughs> go, baby. Go see mama. What's his name? And then Carl, go see mama. Go Hi. see mama. Sorry about that. Cutie pie, no problem. Oh, gotta love him. <laughs> love you. Okay, go. <laughs> Sorry, one second. That was all good. Amanda! <laughs> She's, if you can't tell, she's not shy. Mm-hmm. Not in the slightest. She sees somebody she's a daddy's dad. girl? Oh, uh, yeah. Go see mom. I want to hear him. No, you can't, sweetheart. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> she won't let go now. My daughter's yes. starting to, like, attach to me and starting to yeah. kind of, like, move towards wanting to be around me. You want to say hi to Carl? Why don't you come say hi real quick? Amanda's like, oh, I haven't seen him in so long. Okay, go. Emma, go. Come on, we're in the middle of this. Sorry. All good. <laughs> uh, you know, you know the joys of parenting. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's beautiful chaos. That's how I describe it. You are. <laughs> you miss him when you're gone, and then when you're there, you're like, man, this is... Yeah, after about so much an hour. Chaos. Yeah, after about an hour. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm, uh, i got to go back to work. Right, right. <laughs> I love it, though. It's so good. Um, I forget what we were talking about. Talking about the 25-minute halves in the old X-Ball format. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I was saying, like, um, I felt like we played 
a fuck ton of paintball back then. Like, not only were the games longer, but I felt like we played more games during the day in general. Yeah, yeah I think, you know, I hate to... I mean, you played into the modern, you know, like, you you know, recently, right? Like right. We, what, you retired two 18, years ago. Now? Yeah. Yeah. And so you played, you know, in the current format and just watching it, you know, versus playing it back in the day. It does seem like we played a lot more paintball back then. It felt that way anyway, mm-hmm. especially, you know, those those long matches and you played a lot of X-Ball at an X-Ball tournament. And then the seven-man events, you know, or ten-man yeah. events. Even if you didn't play, you know, what some of them you'd play seven or eight games on a Saturday, you know. Mm. And even when they would split it between Friday and Saturday, you were still there from sunrise till sundown. So you were there all day pretty much, you know. And so it fell long, that's for sure. Yeah, well, and I think the thing, too, because we didn't have Ghost Sports or any kind of webcast, we if we wanted to scout or watch the games, you had to stay and watch Mm -hmm. games. I mean, that was really the only way to do it. Yeah, you didn't leave, that's for sure. No. I had no problem leaving. I was kind of one of those one of those guys who liked to linger around. I still had the paintball nerdiness of, like, seeing everybody and hanging out and wanting to be just around the tournament vibe. I yeah. I enjoyed being around my team, but I liked having that, that vibe of just, like, amateur players, divisional players, pros, fans, just... The, the vendor area was huge back then and just I like the the whole vibe and be just being there in general yeah I still you know I, I, I was like you I never wanted to leave the field I, I lo- and I you know I loved watching paintball you mm-hmm. know even that that never went away from me you know even three years ago when uh, I was going out to Vegas for the first time to a you know an NXL event in over 10 years. Gator, I was going to go play 10-man, and Gator asked me if uh, if I could help, you know, do some scouting and coaching for Dynasty because Rusty couldn't go. I think uh, Jess was pregnant or real close to you yeah. know, giving birth. And so I said, you know, yeah, sure, why not? And I didn't really know how much I would enjoy doing that, but scouting, I, you know, I did a ton of scouting out there, and mm-hmm. I loved it. I mean, I just basically sat and watched paintball all day, and I still really <laughs> enjoy the game and watching and all the little nuances you learn by – watching players and their tendencies and all those things and so you know i i I really enjoy the scouting side of things it's fun i wish i could do more of it but yeah and i think that's one thing that you get watching the game live rather than watching it on the webcast is you get that broad perspective you you you, you're able to watch the entire unit work along Mm -hmm. with the individual effort of the player that you're watching or scouting or whatever like um you know just like anybody i would assume growing up you have your kind of favorite players that you like to watch play not only for you know information and to learn but also just out of pure enjoyment of watching somebody play and um there's such a there's such a takeaway from being there or or even being at fields in general like at paintball fields and watching teams practice and Mm -hmm. play and and there, there's such a, a pro to that, um, uh, to being able to do that rather than watch the webcast. That I think that uh, there's pros and cons with everything. Like like how with what I'm talking about, I think having that close interaction of being mm-hmm. there and and that feeling of everything. And but then also there's the pro of the webcast because you can pretty much access it anywhere. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, just I yeah, mean, and the and the webcast is done so well now. You know, yeah. I mean, it's such a high quality product. And uh, the other, you know, good takeaway there is when you your team's done and you can go back to the hotel room and watch. You know, you, your guys aren't out in the sun getting beat down, and mm-hmm. you know, because it it is it does take a toll a little bit sitting out there all day. Yeah. So so there's there's a positive on that side of it as well, but. Like you said, you know, so I came up at SC Village. That's where I got my, you know, my start. And I was out there every weekend. And back in the the late 90s, early 2000s, that was, you know, you could go out there on any given weekend and watch pro teams out there practicing, some of the best pro teams in the world. So how did you come across paintball? Like even before, so let's let's do the timeline. So how did you you even get into the sport and and figure out this is what you wanted to pursue? Um, So... When I was, I think, a freshman or a sophomore in high school. Well, let's take it back one more, one more step. There was a movie <laughs> in the '80s called Gotcha. I don't know if that you've sounds ever seen familiar. It, but there was, it was like a spy movie and all that. It was about this kid. Anyways, long story short, he was running around on his college campus, and they had an ongoing game of Gotcha, where they would shoot each other's with, I think, were, were uh, PGPs. Mm. And I just remember seeing that when I was a kid in the '80s, going, "Wait, what?" you can shoot each other with these paint things like, Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah. Like how do I get one? You know? And I, whatever back then you couldn't just go on the internet and look for stuff. So, <laughs> you know, I, I the that, phone book. Yeah. I had to resort to BB gun wars and shoot each other. Very, very, uh, dangerously. Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, long story short, um, when I was a freshman or sophomore in high school, my, uh, my cousins called me and there's these two brothers and uh, a sister the sister was dating this guy who played on a paintball team and they're like, Hey, we're going to go play this paintball thing. Uh, do you want to come play? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, count me in, you know? And it was out at some bootleg place in, in Corona in Southern California. And they're like, all right, here kid, here's your gun. They gave me a stingray and it's this, you know, team, which was semi-pro back then called, I think they're called black Dawn and they played in the, uh, the great western series it wasn't called you know semi-pro it's like mm-hmm. amateur or whatever but um it was them practicing against themselves and throwing me and my two teenage cousins into the mix and just beating on us all day long you know yeah. and i remember the second to last game i crawled through these bushes and got around to the side of this guy and just came up and smoked him twice in the head and i was like oh my god <laughs> That was awesome, you know. Yeah. And the next game I played, I shot, ended up shooting like three of them out, and uh, I was hooked from there. And mm-hmm. you know, so I started playing um, just as much as I could. But you know, I was was a broke teenage kid, and I was doing everything I could to save up and try and play. I mean, back then, paint was ridiculously expensive. Yeah, like a case of marbs, marbleizers were one hundred and twenty bucks, and so we would split. I think it was five. Five bags of 500 rounds back then. I think cases were 2,500 rounds. Yeah. So we'd go out there with like five friends, split, you know, a whole case between the five of us, and try and make it last the entire day. <laughs> and uh, so I I started playing a lot, you know, and then um, uh, I actually got into a bit of trouble my senior year in high school. So, uh, actually, paintball was the thing that was keeping me away from trouble, mm-hmm. like the. My troublemaker friends were doing a lot of bad stuff on the weekends, and I was starting to go, you know, I just want to play paintball. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get involved in this stuff. And uh, ended up getting in trouble for something else and 
the uh, the parents took away uh, my paintball gun at that time. Yeah, and I was uh, it, it was a whole meeting between a bunch of our our uh, like our friends, mom, like parents got together. Yeah, and that was a punishment for a couple of us that had started playing paintball. And I'm like, you guys are like, this is what's keeping him away from this stuff, you mm-hmm. know? Like, uh, anyway, so I ended up going off to college uh, up in Lake Tahoe, and um, I came back and worked at INI Sports as a gun tech, so I could, uh, you know, during the summertime, just so I could, you know, get discounts and so I'd go out and play. Yeah. And I I joined a, a team out of Jungle Island called Marine Team, and that's a uh, where Maddie and uh, Todd Martinez got their start. I, I got on that team the year after they left to go to, I think, the Ironman. Oh, really? So I came came on board with that team. I think I played two local tournaments that summer with them, and then I had to go back to college. And then uh, every chance I would get, I was driving back from Lake Tahoe back down to Southern California, which is like an eight-and-a-half-hour drive Oof. to try and play yeah. as much as I could. As you know, any break I had, any any long weekend, I was coming back down trying to play, and um, I got on a another rookie team. It was actually called Impact, and the owner was trying to do big things with this little rookie team. And uh, Nick Shows was on it. Nick Shows, he was oh, yeah. on that team. I think Jesse Lyon was on the team, and uh, he ended up sending us to Mardi Gras that year. This was probably 2000 or 2001. Some one of those years. Anyways, yeah. so he sent us out to Mardi Gras, and uh, um, I was like, holy, you know, holy crap, I'm getting sent, you know, around the country to go do this. This is, this is pretty <laughs> sweet. And uh, I came back that, that next summer again from college, and uh, I think I went back to work at INI, and Shane Harrison was the lead gun tech there. Shaners. Yeah, and uh, I was actually he he was training me to take over for him, and I ended up going to play a tournament with a local team called uh, Spiders Web, which uh, which can hang on, hang on. Like I've I've done so many of these podcasts and heard I've heard so many like in fucking paintball team names (laughs) that are so terrible like i just i can't take it like and i I made this assumption too like it's weird with paintball teams like there's never like the pirates or the bears or like the the bottles or the this is there's no plural like now nothing like that it's always something like the log head or i mean it's just like yeah the lottery (laughs) dynasty (laughs) avalanche it's just like these there's no plural not anything yeah it's just yeah. so oh, the names dude I, it's yeah. oh, it there's been some good ones over the years some good ones for Spider, sure spider's web put me over the top though that's good it makes me laugh and listen who was on this team so it was uh you remember goat <sighs> he played for ironman for a bit um i can't remember who else what was his played. real name alex hong i think that sounds more familiar than Goat. Uh, Steven Pitts. Yes. Was on that team. His older brother, uh, can't remember his first name, the other Pitts brother. Right. Um, and then, do you remember Chris Aikinta? 
He ended up like behind the scenes in PayPal working for like large PayPal companies. And he ran, I think, Essieville or helped run Hollywood Sports Park or something for a long time. Mm. Anyways, he was on the team too. So at that, that local tournament, I'm playing with them. And uh, Check It Factory is refing this tournament. Because back then, you know, teams would ref tournaments or throw these tournaments to make money to help fund, you know, their travel. And there was, mm-hmm. that's why there was, there were so many local tournaments back in the days because you had these these store factory teams, right? And this right. is how they would raise money. Um, and so they're repping this tournament. And I ended up, I think I pulled off a three-on-one in the final match against Hostile Takeover. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Shane was part of the Check It Factory, and, and he kind of knew me as the kid he had trained at, you know, at INI. And so they hit me up after the tournament you know, after we won and asked me to come play for Check It Factory. Well, Check It Factory was Brandon Lambertson, uh, Rusty Glaze, Gator Glaze, JP Augustine, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of guys that went, you know, went on to become a uh, big name pro, Shane Harrison. Yeah. And, uh, and they were kind of one of the up and coming kids teams in the area that were, uh, you know, had a lot of hype around them. And, and so I, you know, I took that opportunity to go join them and just, you know, soak up as much as I could. And uh, somewhere in there, I don't even remember, there's so much of a blur now. Somewhere in there, I played on a, a team for two events, too, with uh, Little John, John Marquez, Gary Shows. We were just talking about him not that long, in a podcast not that long ago, just how nasty that dude was. Yeah, he was filthy. And, he, you know, here's a story that was, I, I haven't told many people, but when I first started, like, really trying to practice at SC Village, I was on that that rookie team that we went to Mardi Gras with. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know who he was. He didn't know who me or one of my teammates were, but me and one of my teammates were out there running one-on-one drills and he comes over to us and, and just starts coaching us and start teaching us drills to run. And he ends up spending like four hours of his day just teaching us. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the next weekend I'm out there and he sees us out there again and he ended up spending his entire day just teaching us me and this other kid he just took it upon himself to just teach. Yeah. Like I thought that was one of the, you know, looking back, that was such a cool and just awesome thing that he did. You know, he didn't know who we were. Right. You know, and at the time he was a professional paintball player, but he, t- he took the time to teach two kids. He saw working hard trying to, you know, learn the game. Um, but yeah, so I, I played on a, a random other 10 man team with them, but from check it factory, I ended up on a bunch of us went to bushwhackers when that team broke up. And then once things went sideways with bushwhackers a bunch of us went over to or not a bunch of us uh me i think jesse lyon and gator all went to cap factory and then from there you know cap factory became avalanche you guys are pretty successful as as cap factory though right yeah oh yeah we went uh when i joined them they were novice so it would be i don't know d2 now is that what it would be because there was only back then there was rookie novice amateur pro yeah was four divisions and so we were novice we won the 10-man series title that year then we moved up to amateur the next year won the uh the title the 10-man title again as amateur as an amateur team and then uh we went pro together as avalanche because i guess ed portman was the year so the whole Psalm Snipe in the Woods incident, there was mm-hmm. one one team that played for a year under the name Avalanche, and then we became Avalanche. We kind of like, he picked all of us up to play as Avalanche. And we 
I think we won we won Chicago the, our first year as pro, um, which was awesome. You know, mm-hmm. like to come out and win. I think it was the third event, right? And so yeah. you know, we were we were we we started out really strong, and then it went downhill from from there. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember remember your avalanche. I remember playing against you guys uh, as from Tipman Effect. I don't know if it was Denver or somewhere, where I've, but I remember playing against you guys. You obviously, beat the shit out of us. But um, I remember you guys wearing the the gray angel jerseys and shooting mm-hmm. the new style angels when okay. they came out. Yeah. Or it might have been the second or third style. I think it was like 0304 or something like that. Okay. But um, it might have been 03. But uh, that's how I always remember you guys. Because I always remember you guys always had shit. It might have been, I forget who it was on the team, but he always had shit hanging off his pack or like his pants or whatever. And um, uh, a couple of the guys would rock bandanas hanging off, you know. Yep. Yeah. And that's where I got the idea to start. I, I copied it because I was like, that's fucking cool. And I want to be cool. <laughs> so I started doing that. And then. Uh, yeah, that's, you guys were wearing the JT Flexes and uh, rocking the Angels and everything. So how did those Angels shoot? I never shot an Angel Um the newer versions. I didn't like them. No? I didn't like the ball trajectory. So, I, you know, coming from uh, Whackers and stuff like that, I, I loved my single trigger, you know, slide frame autococker. Right. I had a really flat shot. I love that. And when I went to the Angel, I felt like... It had it had an arc to it, right? And so I I preferred my autococker, even though it shot slower. I preferred my autococker mm-hmm. just because I felt it had a, a better you know a better shot to it. A lot of guys loved them, you know. They, I thought we thought they were kind of questionable. Yeah, heavy. Yeah. Uh, there was issues with them a lot, you know. And it was a good. I mean, it, the angel changed the the market, right? I mean, I mm-hmm. know there was a couple electronic markers. Before that, like the Rainmaker and oh, yeah, I don't know, I the Bushmaster, that. right? Yeah, the, the, those were around, but Angel really took it to the next level and brought the electronic marker, you know, into a, the, this really top performing gun. But I think they made it. They, I think they made the, a, a good looking top end marker because I feel yeah. like before then, or even during then, it was like a lot of them were really boxy, the machine poorly. Uh, yeah. Just meaning there was no aesthetic to him. It was just kind of like, eh. It just looked yeah. like it was sucked. But then Angel came around. I feel like they started to like actually take time and thought about how they wanted the marker to look. Yeah, well, they they brought a finished product to the exactly to the market, right? Like the the Bushmaster and the Rainmaker, like you said, they were these big boxy, weird like proto, almost like a prototype, right? <laughs> and I don't that stuck. You know, I was. A young young guy at that time but i don't like electronics back then those were probably pretty you know pretty large and the cheaper oh, yeah. you went on that stuff the the bigger those things were so some of those guns are probably were, were probably built boxy like that you know out of necessity <laughs> for, the, for the cheaper larger you know electronic components that are putting them mm-hmm. but yeah it was an okay gun i just i i like my autococker so yeah know. and then when Bob came out with Intimidators. I, that's, oh, yeah. You know, I love those things. Those things were awesome. Yeah, that was it was huge. That was I really enjoyed that. 
and uh, that whole platform, the whole open bolt platform, I I really enjoy. What, what so what do you think? What do you think is it? And I'm sure there's going to be um, mechanical engineers who are in paintball that are going to be probably yelling at me, you know, talking about this. But what is? What do you think it is that? Is it the barrel or is it the way the air hits the ball or the way it's dispersed through the through the marker and through the solenoid that actually creates that trajectory? Because obviously everybody's shooting the same uh, 300 feet per second, right? Mm-hmm. But but what is it when somebody says it has a flat trajectory or it has a, you know a, an arc to it because there's there's obviously some kind of travel to the ball where it's eventually mm-hmm. going to start arcing. So it's like what what do you think makes a marker kind of have that feel to it? Because they say there's a lot of people that also say that the 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 LV ones had an arc to them, but mm-hmm. I I feel I've never had that issue. I really like the way they shot. Um, mm-hmm. To be honest, no matter what I shot, I felt like they all had the same trajectory because the ball, f- x amount of feet ahead of you, was straight and then eventually fell off. Like I could never really tell the difference. But what do you th- what what do you think makes that very subtle difference, or or not so subtle dif- subtle difference? Honestly, I could f- fucking begin to tell you, dude. <laughs> I'm the last guy you should ask that to. Um, but you know, it, I don't think it's the barrel. I, you know, I remember getting that question when I was a pro. Like, what's your favorite barrel? And I'm like, I don't know, the one that gets paint out of it. Like, what size board yeah. do you shoot? <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's probably a, a combination of things. You know, the tied to the solenoid, the way that the air travels, the you know how it impacts the ball, how it's dispersed. Um, you know, those are probably all factors into into that. But you know, you probably want to have that conversation with Jack Wood or somebody like that. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, once I start digging into it, I'm like, oh, what what if it's what if the solenoid um, uh, chamber is like baffled to where it, it it makes it the air less turbulent? Like, would it? Yeah, I just start thinking about all that fucking silly shit. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> start losing just, people. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to it, dude. I, and I couldn't begin to pretend to, to understand the dynamics of, of something like that. But yet, everybody I, has their own personal preference on markers on which ones they like to shoot and. I think you know, for the most part, in the modern the modern guns now are they're all really good mm-hmm. markers. You know, I think back in the day while they were still figuring stuff out and improving on tech, you know, like to me there was a clear difference between the way the Angel shot and the Autococker shot, uh, and and the Shocker for that same in that same you know uh, regard. It it, it had a, a more of a curved shot to it. And, right. You know, nowadays, like I went when I first started playing again, I didn't have any equipment. And uh, Gator, I called Gator up, and he told me to just buy an axe, you know. And I'm like, this thing's like three hundred something dollars, you know. Like, is it really good? And he's like, he's like, yeah, dude. Like, it's a really good gun. So I went, yeah. bought, you know, bought one, play with it. And I'm like, dude, this is as good as any tournament gun I ever played with back in the day. Yep. You know, and I think it was like three hundred something dollars. But you know, now I have, dude, I have a, a GMEC, an M170, an EMEC, a CS1, an axe. An auto cocker, a free flow cocker. Yeah. Um, and I pick all those guns up, and the only differences in them are just these small little nuances, other than obviously electronic versus mechanical. Sure. But that, I, I honestly love the way every one of those guns shoots. Like, I could grab any one of those guns and be completely content, you know, yeah. happy. So I think I don't think in the in the modern g- guns, if people are picking them apart, it's over 
tiny, tiny little differences that people personal that have that, yeah, or have that brain set to notice little, little, you know, minute details like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next gun I'm trying to get is a, I'm gonna get one of the forces because I start playing around with one of those. That's a that's a fun gun. Ooh, dude, I'm, I've I've dwindled my collection down to just an Emac. Dude, the Emac's so good though. <laughs> Dude, it's ridiculous. I've 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 said it at nauseum, how much I enjoy that marker. Just throw a bang switch in it, and uh, I think oh, rips. Dude, it's rips. Dude, it's yeah. got. A, I have the uh, that carbon fiber barrel on there. I have just like an, an old LVL loader and an old S tank that I need to get hydroed and a tank valve I need to probably rebuild. But I mean, dude, it shoots like I really. I've told people this over and over again. I was like, I that I shot that at, I forget which which ten man mechanical I started shooting it at, but I shot that and I it literally put a smile on my face, and mm-hmm. I was like, I, I'm having fun. Like I'm legitimately having fun. No worries playing. Like not no pressure. Like maybe it was maybe it was also the ten man atmosphere, but mm-hmm. but it was just also just shooting that kind of just made you feel like. Because because for me it was always, first I, I played back then too when paint was expensive as shit, and I think that's kind of what led me into only carrying X amount of four. Well, to be honest, four pods, and really every match, every game inside that match, only shooting less than the loader. Like every ball counted, right? And then now I got to shoot this thing, and every ball counted. And you could, but this time, instead of it ramping, you can see that boom, boom. Like every ball had a purpose because you're physically making that ball go to a certain spot. And I just, I get off on shit like that where it's just like knowing that you're putting a ball, you know, a certain place, especially when you're making them break on somebody else. But, uh, oh, dude, it's, it's glorious. You know, like, uh, when I first got the G Mac, you know, which was the, uh, first mechanical version that Eclipse came out with, Mm -hmm. I think it was, I, I, what gun did they convert again? You had to buy like a 45 frame and convert it from an electronic gun to uh, to a mech. I, I don't know, whatever it was called. Uh, it was like a, the G Tech. The G Tech, yeah. So yeah. that was it. Duh. I was uh, <laughs> putting down that one. <laughs> um, but I, I took it to play at Super Game, which is this big game in Oregon that's mm-hmm. just phenomenal. Like, I'd play some big games way back in the day. I didn't really care for it. And then I went to this big game when I first started playing again. And, oh, my gosh, it's the most fun paintball I've ever played. Yeah. Anyways, uh, you know, you're out in the woods. And when you one ball somebody, you line up that shot and just, you know, the first ball you, you get into that gunfight with hits. Like, there is, you know, a good feeling to that. When you, <laughs> when you snap shoot one, and come out and shoot one paintball and dot someone between the eyes, that is a... That is a good feeling for oh. sure. Yeah, dude, it's paintball has this this kind of just you get into a weird state. I feel when and not even a weird state, this kind of like out of body state. I want to feel like when you when you're playing the positions that 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 we played. I mean, I'm sure the back players have kind of the same feeling, but you just get into this own little world. Mm-hmm. Of of knowing your job and accomplishing that job, and and I've told people this over and over again. You so you know it's like uh, paintball. I feel is a is a team is a team sport built on individual effort, mm-hmm. and you know because you get your spot, you have a job to do, and unless you do that job as that individual, 
you cannot contribute to the overall uh, goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, but you're, but that goal involves all these little battles during mm-hmm. this whole, during this match, and then during this game, and then during the tournament, and you just, you, you kind of get sent into this different world. And I have no clue where I was going with that. I just started thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, dude, it's, it's so much fun. It's such, it's, it's hard to explain to people because I start talking about stuff like this that unless you were actually in the trenches of what we did it's hard to really relate to no it is for sure you know and there's there's a couple things i want to touch on that like relating to what you're just talking about yeah you know so growing up in huntington beach i grew up surfing skating snowboarding you know doing all those things and i you know i loved them all uh i still you know to this day i ride mountain bikes but none of them to me are as just I don't know as surreal as paintball is the experience that paintball provides you know mm-hmm. i can i can have a crazy work rate and i could go ride my mountain bike and it feels you know relieves some stress and i feel good whatever or i can go play paintball and i come back from paintball and all, all of the stress all of that built up angst all of that stuff is just completely gone i mean my wife notices a huge difference mm-hmm in me for the next week or two after I've gone to play paintball for a day, even if I'm just playing walk-ons, you know, my whole attitude and my, my patience levels and all those different things. But the other thing I want to talk about is, you know, you said there's this kind of out of body experience. Have you ever heard of flow? Like yeah, the term flow. Yep. So, you know, in sports, you know, you hear it referenced like the zone being in the zone, like that guy's in the zone. Well, in, you know, with, science or scientific developments they've actually been able to monitor athletes in the brain um you know body chemicals you know of how they're performing during certain situations Mm -hmm. and they actually have mapped it out now and there is a place you get to uh, chemically that that your body is is basically perceiving things at a higher level than you normally would be allowed to. And so the scientific data now backs up that feeling that you have when you're in the zone. Yeah. Well, your body is in the zone and you are doing things differently than when you're not. Um, there's a there's a research center that does, like that's all they do, they focus on that. I can't remember what the name of it is. I bet you if you ask Maddie, if you could ever get a hold of him. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> the dude is so hard. Anybody out there, please message Maddie and tell him to get back to me on getting on this damn podcast. Jesus you Christ. You reminded me. I, I, I've been texting with him all week. And I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll text him and tell him, yo, dude, hit up Carl, bro. Go on. But he, you know the name of the company that does it. But yeah. anyways, uh, I was listening to, I think, uh, maybe it might even been a Joe Rogan podcast where they had uh, – the head, like the guy, the look at the founder of this, you know, foundation or whatever, talking about it, and uh, the question was asked, well, how can you simulate? Wait, what's the quickest way you can simulate being in a state of flow? And his response was something along these lines, not exactly, but it was something along these lines. It was drink a, you know, a, a, a cup, a cup of very strong coffee, smoke a joint, and then go run for twenty minutes, and. They've they've mapped like your brain and you know bo- you know athletes you know like I was talking about the what the chemicals in their body are doing and mm-hmm. it was very similar to that same you know being in the flow was <laughs> smoke a joint drink a cup of coffee and, and go for a twenty minute run. 
and that that was like a simulated uh, flow experience. I'll have to try that. Do you have to smoke the whole joint? I don't know, dude. I don't <laughs> smoke, but <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what he said. That's the best way you can simulate it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, tough. The third thing I wanted to talk, like, touch on was you're talking about playing, you know, with a team um, and in the trenches of sorts and, you know, individuals doing these, the, their own battles or having their own battles, right? One of the things that I got into a long conversation with Maddie actually about this, um, you know, so I run a company now and I have like just under 50 employees. And at some point, probably four or five years ago, I was in this conference room and I had I think probably four or five of my senior guys in this in this conference room and things were getting a little heated and we were discussing I don't remember what some business related item I don't know sure but I realized in that moment like I have been here before and that was through paintball mm-hmm and so what I realized was, you know, working in a business environment, not for everybody. So there's, there's certain, you know, individuals whose career paths take them to work alone and stuff. But if you're working in most business environments, you have coworkers, you have bosses, you have employees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the paintball created that same reality, mm-hmm. or that, that same experience. And so, you know, it's, it's about finding a way to get a bunch of different people from you know different age groups, different cultural backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different thinking, different ways of thinking and processing uh, to to come together under high stress situations to achieve a goal. Right. Right. And that's what paintball is. And so playing in in paintball, you know, at that high level um, in those stressful situations definitely taught me a bunch of life lessons about how to navigate these these business environments now and how to you know get people together and into working towards that that business goal whatever it is um and believing in the, the idea and and navigating the stress and you know all of that and so it, it paid dividends you know that's yeah. one of the biggest takeaways i've uh, i've learned from paintball was if anything like it taught me it taught me that business environment and it is, it has definitely paid its dividends. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine because there's a lot of stories that I've heard from a lot of different people and, and, and even from my own is relating real life, uh, real life situations or, or real life, um, endeavors and, and kind of relating that to paintball and, Mm -hmm. and the lessons that I learned through paintball, not only on the field, but off the field, because, you know, we, we talk about paintball and there are the on-field lessons that we learn, right? The, the black and white, the, you know, you do this, you're going to get shot or you do this and, you know, it, it could possibly turn out like, like I think with paintball too, it's, it's very simplistic in a very basic way. If you think about it, you know, you get shot at, you hide, you shoot back, they hide, you try and shoot each other. Right. Very simple. Um, but I think the thing is, is that it's, it's everything else on top of that, that the, the problem solving on top of that, that you're trying to figure out. But I think what, what a lot of people don't understand is the life learning lessons um, up to that point mm-hmm. of traveling with the team and, and being a part of a team and from start to finish and, and being a responsible individual um, in that team. 
mm-hmm. you know, and then showing up to the tournament and performing. So I think there's so many lessons that that being a a tournament player uh, involve uh, that that you have to be involved in to get to that point to be successful. And I think that that's so helpful in 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 life lessons down the road that you can pull out and event and, and use in these random um, or not random kind of situations that you get yourself into. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, not every pro player is like this, but you know, most I would say, you know, have to continue to learn, right? You know, so yeah. in PayPal, you you never stop learning, right? And one of the ways you do that is is you have to be able to self reflect. So. Mm-hmm. When you get called out on making a mistake, you know your ego instantly wants to say, "No, I didn't make a mistake." You know that the ego comes out. Yep. But <clears throat> if you're going to learn from that, you have to be able to throw that ego aside and be able to, you know, critically analyze yourself or you know self-reflect on the situation right. and be able to take that criticism right and learn from the mistake you made and grow from it. Mm-hmm. And you know. Uh, Business is the same way. The work, you know, workforce is the same way. You have bosses that you know come down on you, and if your your first reaction is always like, "Why well, I, I kick ass?" and they don't know what they're talking about. Yep. You know, this guy that's been there probably thirty plus years. You know, if 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 you think you know more than him already, you're probably not going to grow as a a person, right? Or you know, an employee in that work environment, right? And so, I mean, it it, it does teach a lot in so many different ways. I mean. You remember uh, SETI, Richard Roloff? He was the, one of the key guys on Cap Factory and played on Avalanche. He got his leg broken in a drunken golf cart accident. Oh, that Jesus. May or, may or may not have been involved in. <laughs> 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 kind of uh, put a damper on things for him. But yeah. he works you know, at, at the same company as I do, and he's he's one of the best you know, employees. He's a go-to guy there. Right. And, and he demonstrate all, he demonstrates a lot of those same qualities. You know, he finds a way to get <clears throat> all these people to come together and believe in the message, whatever message he's trying to you know uh, say at that time, mm-hmm. and get all these different people from all these different you know cultural backgrounds, different age groups. He gets them to believe in what he's saying and gets everybody working towards the same goal. I mean, he's he's a great leader, and yeah. you know, a, a lot of those qualities come from at least I think you know come from uh his his experiences through paintball for sure yeah and don't get me wrong there's a lot of paintball players that i'd be like i would not want to work with them <laughs> i can only take practices and tournaments with this person <laughs> other than that i don't know if i could do anything yeah, else. of course well there's always personality you know? <laughs> exactly. there's certain guys that you just you're like yeah we're good dude have a good weekend <laughs> we'll see, good practice we'll see ya. yeah <laughs> yep the first, the first one to leave, and the first one, uh, or the last, the first one to leave, the last one there, for practice, and just the the first one to complain, and yeah, always defensive. But yeah. so, what kind of what kind of player would you describe yourself uh, growing up in? Like your, I wouldn't say your prime, but like when you when you were really into the sport and you were starting to make a name for yourself, kind of how would you describe yourself as a player and your your attributes? Um, I was always more of that mid player, you know. Mm-hmm. So ten, ten man days, I was probably the two, you know, or the three, depending on on the field. Um, I was definitely never a snake guy, you know. <laughs> 
I was six. I'm six feet tall, and I was never super athletic, you know, or speedy. Um, but I think my my best attributes were communicating, um, the ability to think on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, there was I think over my career I've had I had several games where I pulled you know clutch moments down bodies. Um, I was just always that support player, you know. Uh, I think I was a most of my teammates have told me I was a really good teammate always, you know. Um, so I'd like to say that I think I was a really good teammate always. Yeah, I liked uh, you. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate yeah, that. no problem. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, you know, my my strengths on the field were definitely my ability to to read the field, and especially later in the game, you know, um, I. I think I had it a tendency, especially earlier on in my career, to be a little too aggressive early in games sometimes, mm-hmm. which would make me a little inc- inconsistent. But when I, you know, when I was around towards the end of games, I was definitely, uh, you know, turning the tide in our favor. Um, but as I, you know, matured in the sport, I think I got more consistent and learned how to pull off the gas pedal a little bit. You know, I wanted to be a front guy. Yeah. I just didn't have the wheels for it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough position though because a lot of people think it's just it's just that athleticism, no, but it takes absolutely. oh man, it it takes so much because you have to you have to ride that fine line of of holding back and knowing when to go forward, knowing when to use your position on the field as a surprise to gain more ground. Or when you should, when you should hold back. It's, it's, and I, I can say that about any position. You know, you can say that about a, a back tape guy. You know, when is it not good to hold the tape anymore? When, when you, you know, when's not a good time to gunfight this guy because he's not going in too. You know, how much do you risk? It's always about assessing the risk. Yeah, it's like J, J, to put it in perspective. Jr. once told me I was this mini me. If that, if that oh, helps nice. you. The way the way I played and stuff yeah. like that, he, he felt, and you know, a couple other teammates told me the same thing. Yeah, that I was a a younger version of Jr. back in the day. I'm not trying to claim I was as good as him by any means. You know, <laughs> Uncle Touch was a legend. Uncle Touch. <laughs> I talked to him about that, and he he laughed when I went because I I talked to him about it. I just did a podcast with him not that long ago, and uh, I don't think we talked about it on the podcast, but I asked him about it beforehand and he goes i he started laughing and i was like i was like you didn't know i knew that did you he goes no it's 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 that's funny as i i finally got the background behind it i knew the nickname but i didn't know the background so he told you the story i mean it's not it's not the most amazing story buddy it's good to know though yeah long story short you know uh he played with us on cap factory at a tournament in vegas and gator and i were sharing a rather small bed and he comes back from be, you know going out drinking and just jumps into bed with gator and i and so we started calling him uncle touch you know like the three of us and like a like a twin dude oh my god dude it, it's so funny <clears throat> you, like you get to learn people's uh their whole person their entire personalities too at these paintball tournaments because at least back then there was one night and sometimes multiple nights when everybody drank or where some guys drank, and then you got to see that side of them. Like, I remember Nicky Cuba was always that guy. He would always turn into <laughs> that guy. And then uh, and then JR would always – he was always known as this quiet guy, just kind of, you know, just kind of, like, paid attention to his own stuff and did his own thing. And then as soon as he drank, then he becomes, like, the other guy. 
He becomes oh, yeah. like he's all over the place, and yeah, super Chat, touchy. Chatterbox. Chatterbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so fun, man. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it was good times for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to summarize me up, that's kind of you know the the player I think I was, and you know, according to others, and kind of my own uh, views, I guess. You know, yeah. it's one of the funny things is now playing in mechanical i have i've had to adjust and become more of a back guy in uh in this new format and so i'm trying to trying to learn how to play as a back guy now um and i i'm having to to tell myself you know i not to go because i see the move and i want to go and instead i'm like no figure out how to get the guy that's in front of you to go to that spot, you know? And so I'm at, right. that's a process I've been kind of trying to work there and practice on, you know, instead of seeing the window and taking the move myself, you know, staying where I'm at and just figuring out how to help the guy in front of me get to that next bump or whatever, you know, whatever the case. Yeah. I guess I retired before I had to get to that stage. And even when I come back now and I ask to play on teams or I'm pursued by teams, it's always like, Hey man, we could really use your speed. <laughs> We could really use you up front, do this and that. I'm like, oh, man. All right. <laughs> okay. You'll get there, dude. All right. <laughs> and maybe it's not because I want to get. Maybe I just want to, like, I enjoy getting up in the in the mix of things. And, you know, I, I don't get enjoyment out of, like, shooting a lot of paint and kind of, like, holding lanes and doing all that. That's all, that's all for, like, other people to do. Like, I just, I'm, I'm more of, like, wanting to get up in people's faces, shoot shoot somebody real close. Uh, and I, I still have that mentality. I'll, I'll go play walk-ons, right? And I'm out with, like, just, you know, friends. There's a bunch of these dudes that I play with called the Daggers. And uh go play walk-ons at SC Village. And um, Corsino, because Corsino, contract killer, he's, he's yeah. one of them. Um, and I'm, I'll be like, oh, I'm just going to take it easy, you know. I'm just going to chill back here and just shoot pain. Just just be out here, you know, have fun. <laughs> Within two minutes, famous I'm, last words. I'm in the front, you know, and I'm just like, I can't sit back there and just, you know, dump paint at, at you know, <laughs> randoms out there. It's just it's so boring. Yep. It's like, oh, I'm gonna put you in. I'm gonna make this move. Yep. So yeah, it's hard to it's hard to turn that switch off, you know. Yeah. I remember I I played walk-ons with uh, John Marquez real early on, um, at SC and. Uh, he played it like he was playing a, a pro tournament and uh, and just went out there and just slaughtered people. I mean, kids, everything. Okay, wait, buddy. Um, just slaughtered. I mean, just everybody. Like, Didn't if, care. If there was kids with rental guns. He was just running by and bunkering them. And I was just like, I was just like. It was ruthless. He he did not. Yeah, he that switch never turned off for that dude. Like, he did not know how to turn it off. And. I mean, it's kind of where I'm at now. I, I don't bunker 14 year old kids with rental guns or anything. Right. But uh, yeah, it's it's hard to after being at the you know at a high level like that, being able to to sit back and just casually play paintball. It's mm-hmm. it's difficult to do that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> what? Uh, so. Was it a uh, a collective for you and and Baines and Takamoto um, to go over to excessive, or was it a um, was it like a, was it like a plan for you guys to do that all together? 
Uh, no, it wasn't a plan. And so, you know, kind of what it ties into the downfall of Avalanche. You know, we had a lot of young guys on that team. We didn't really have anybody with veteran leadership on that team. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was probably one of the oldest guys on the team. And I, really? I was, yeah, I was a veritable shit show back then. You know, I was living out of a trash bag, <laughs> surfing on people's <laughs> couches for the most part, you know. Did you get along with um, Ed? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I always like Ed Sol. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good dude. You know, he, he always did everything he said he was going to do, and he took care of us. And, you know, um, uh, you know, looking back, I wish I had stepped up and, and taken things more seriously and provided better leadership on that team, you know. Right. Dave and, and Glenn were the two captains of the team, and they, you know, they handled everything. But we were all so young. Um, I, 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 you know, I butted heads with Dave a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Dave. Like he's like family to me. You know, we still play. You know, we brought back Cat Factory together. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was just I think clash of personalities or something back then, or you know, I, something like that. We had that whole SoCal versus NorCal thing going on too, <clears throat> which was stupid, right? Right. A dumb thing to have in fighting or things about. But uh, you know, so the team. With, with all those different personalities and not us not really knowing how to navigate that from an experience and being young uh, kind of led to the implosion of that team. And so at the time when, when the three of us went over to excessive, Glenn and I were still really close and, and got along well, mm-hmm. but Dave and I were at odds with each other. And so we ended up on the same team again together, but that wasn't because it was planned. It right. was like, oh, you're here? Oh, you're here. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's a, you know, he's one of those guys where he's, he has this presence to him. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only because he's just a beast, you know, he's, you can't miss him, but also very strong minded and, um, in his kind of ways of thinking how things should be done. And, uh, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, no. obviously got him to where he is now. Um, but I think yep. it, it, you know, it's it's just some people um, think differently, and I think there's I think there's a few different people on that team who kind of butted heads with Dave at that time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was uh, guys that quit the team specifically because they got into a fight with Glenn and and Dave at that mm-hmm. time. Um, I mean, there was a whole. Do you remember the scuffle that between him and Thomas? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I need help. Okay, I can't help you with that right now. You gotta go out there. Go ask mom. Go ask mom to close the door now. Thank you. I love you. Close the door. Or you're going to timeout. Like I said, the joys of parenting. I just saw a hammer get set down. Yeah, dude. My (laughs) seven year old boy was starting to walk around with a hammer, so that's why I had to. That's what I had to deal with that real quick. Can't have him starting to smash stuff. Uh, Seb, how old's your youngest? <clears throat> My youngest is four. Um, I have a seven-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl, and it is it is interesting. Yep, that's that's about how I have a, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Yeah, oh yeah, so the same age gap, right? And yep. Just, dude, they are. They love each other and they love playing with each other, but man, do they battle, bro? Oh my god. Ooh. My son's like very sweet and sensitive and thoughtful, 
and my daughter is just a wrecking ball. And so <laughs> the same, she, dude. Loves, she loves seeing people's emotions and their reactions to things. So she is just constantly like, push the button, push my brother's button. Yep. Oh, you like that hot wheel? Here, let me grab that and throw that across the living room. <laughs> you know? Uh, oh, the same, dude. Bless my wife's heart. She is a she is a saint, you know, having, especially right now, having to deal with all this COVID stuff. She went from oh, yeah. working and, uh, you know, she had a job and it was at my kid's school. And now she's a stay-at-home mom, you know, mm. and had to learn how to become, try and become a homeschool teacher. And so she's trying trying to teach a seven-year-old and a four-year-old at the same time. And just, yeah. Good luck. I'm I'm glad I get to go to work. (laughs) So how is that affecting you guys? Because you're Um, you're a generator company, correct? Yeah, so we work on, you know, heavy industrial motors. Uh, Motors, uh, yeah. Yeah, so AC motors, DC motors, and generators. So... Uh, you know, we'll see a downturn for sure. The phones are starting to get quieter and customers are informing us, you know, that uh, they're only pulling emergency, you know, motors and things like that. Sure. We had a pretty we had a pretty good backlog built up. So we're still carrying, you know, being carried on that backlog. Mm-hmm. But the good news is, you know, our biggest customer market or, you know, our largest market share is power generation. Sure. You know, the power can't go off, so we, we, you know, we have to support those guys and make sure that the lights stay on, right? And then our second largest customers are gold mines, who are golds through the roof right now, so they're trying to produce like crazy. So they're actually, we've seen an uptick, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from them since this all started. And then, you know, the water municipalities and water sanitization companies and stuff like that, those are all things that have to, you know, keep running. Right. So we'll be affected less than most. I guess that's a good thing about being in an industry we're in. It's pretty recession proof, mm-hmm. but we'll be affected some because, you know, people are, are trying to, you know, self isolate. And so, you know, outage work that we normally would be performing right now is being pushed to the fall. Um, and like I said, we've had court customers inform us that they're not going to send work in. It's you know, an emergency type basis. So right. we will see a downturn, but I think it's, you know, we're less impacted than most by this. Yeah, that's kind of how we're sitting too. It's it's you know we were deemed essential, uh, yeah. just because we do municipal, we do commercial uh, pumps. So you know anything that a building needs as far as uh, water to the top floor, um, being domestic <clears throat> water or refrigerant um, or, or chilled water or hot water or whatever it may be, fire pumps, you know those need to still run. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where we sit. We're still in the, we're in the same boat, but uh, but I'm actually being able to work from home, kind of as an on-call basis as a technician. So um, I'm just kind of going as needed. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I sent home, you know, all the, all our like administrative people and uh, office workers. We sent them, you know, basically had remote workstations given to them so they could take them home and work remotely, mm-hmm. and then then coming in like one day a week just to do the stuff they need to there, but we've got them spread out. So there's no more than, you know, one or two people in the office at a given time. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, you work in a similar industry, actually probably some of it's the same industry. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> our field, you know, our, our technicians on site technicians, uh, they have to be at the shop cause that's where they're performing the work. You know, you can't, can't send home, you know, a, 
a 10 ton generator to, to a guy's house so he can work on it right yeah yeah exactly so we're, we're you know we're trying to navigate through all the the cdc guidelines and the the osha guidelines relating to COVID 19 and and just making sure we're protecting all our guys you know um we're going like beyond their 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 recommended um safety precautions mm-hmm. so yeah it's, it's interesting time you know i spent last three days is pouring through stimulus information and the, uh, you know, family's first care stuff, trying to figure out, you know, what's all in that and how it, you know, is beneficial to the employees and, and, you know, how it can help the company and, you know, what it all means. And so, I mean, last night I, I couldn't sleep. So I was up from like 1130 till three this morning, reading through, uh, FAQs on the stimulus bill. Yeah. that's fun. Yeah, geez, I haven't even yeah, I haven't even got to that part yet. But I, it's it is definitely s- such interesting times because you kind of you realize, at least for me, how much I've been able to stay more with the family, like how much I miss, uh, meaning how much I've I, I'm not with my kids. Yeah. And you you kind of see that, and you see, I my wife is a stay at home mother, so you know I get to see kind of her day to day and what it's really like. And then I also got to see kind of what where my priorities l- lie as far as, you know, I could be using this time to be doing this. I could be using this time to do this, um, like my personal time to be able to focus on myself. Um, I mean, yes, obviously family, but like kind of where, you know, rather than sit down and look at bullshit on my phone, I could be uh, producing something, hmm. being productive in some way. <clears throat> and um it's definitely it's just it's something that it's something that I thought that I would eventually see in my lifetime. Um, meaning, you know, we've seen you know nine eleven, like all this other stuff that we were a part of. Meaning, like people, um, it it was it was people driven, kind of a thing. Like mm-hmm. hate, just hate shit. Um, but this being something where we're not really fighting another person, we're fighting this invisible enemy. But it's also involving other people, meaning we have to like separate from one each other, one another. But then also like now we're you know more involved with technology because we're talking through the computers and we're doing this and being involved. And I think this is gonna change. This is gonna change a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. You know the the world after. <clears throat> You know, everything calms back down and settles from this. When the dust settles, the way the world works is going to be different. And there's going to be a lot of innovation that comes from this, you know, um, mm-hmm. because with problems come solutions, right? And and people are going to have run into a lot of problems because of this. And they will there'll be people out there figuring out, you know, ways to provide solutions to those problems. So. Mm-hmm. You know the the traditional business models for certain aspects of business will probably change some. Um, just you know, there's even to the simple point. You know, like having people work remotely from home. It's is kind of you know in the old old guard those guys look down on that. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh if they're at home they're not working right. Like that's the mentality with a lot of the old school people. Right. And i i would bet that some of this will be evaluated and they will see you know how productive people really are um and the cost impact to the company because obviously 
if you don't have to, if you can have people work from home and they're actually being productive, it's cheaper to have them stay at home than come into an office. Right. Right. And so some of that will probably change. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's going to be, it's going to be an interesting time in the next, I would say probably five years as we come out of this, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not gonna take five years to come out of this, but over the next five years, you'll probably see some innovations in the way models of doing things kind of change around this. I mean, one of the, one of the things, you know, like in the United States is we've, we found that we're finding out that most of our medical supplies are made in China, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in this situation, it's probably not ideal. <laughs> right. So, you know, moving forward, will we see some manufacturing return to the United States for, for essential things that, you know, um, we can't rely on other countries for in a time of crisis? I don't know, you know. And, so I was, I forget what I was listening to, but I, I heard recently too that uh, I guess it was when the hurricane hit Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. I, I guess they make like I don't know if it was seventy five percent or ninety percent of the world's supply of IV bags down there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But those all got wiped out, you know. And so there was this huge shortage on IV bags for a while, and it's like, huh, you know, those are the types of things that you know need to be looked at. Like you can't have all your resources just coming from one place like that because of tragedy, right? Like, right. What, what, what do we do? And in a place that could possibly see a fucking hurricane, <laughs> and it's not like it, they're IV bags. They're not toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Like the world could live without toilet paper. It's like, but it's going to run really shitty without IV bags. Yeah. Pun yeah. intended. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting times for a while. That's for sure. You know, yeah. and, I mean, even you look at paintball, right? And how it's being affected by this. You know, and it's 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 devastating right now. And you know, <clears throat> people can't even play. Yeah, you know? I wanted to go and do snap shooting drills in my backyard, and I can't even get air right now, right? <laughs> just so I can go do that. You know? Yeah, yeah. I was talking to um, uh, Drew Templeton on on the podcast that I did with him. And we were talking about figuring out a way to generate um, to generate a projectile uh, or generate a way to, to shoot a projectile using a battery mm-hmm. and, and generating that because, you know, him and I were talking about this and I've, I've talked about it before. But, you know, if, if we can figure out a way, like how awesome would it be to be able to figure out a way to use rechargeable batteries that you could just recharge in your house you don't have to go anywhere and get air and use compressed air and have a have a uh 4500 bottle full in your basement or in your garage for god knows how long um just sitting there um but you could just recharge this battery and then you could just go play and do whatever and you just have constant you know you don't have to rely on that compressed air and i think that would be such a huge i don't know how the fuck it would happen but I think that would be such a huge, um, just game-changing thing that that well, could happen. The key is right, like you know, whether it's guns or a bow and arrow or a, a paintball marker, there has to be some kind of of force, right? A, a moment where force is pressure buildup. Yeah, yeah, pressure buildup that you know propels something in, in a certain direction. And so it's actually one of the things like I randomly came across um, some years ago. I don't know, dorking out on some electric motor crap. I ended up going down some rabbit hole um, to this 
company that has actually figured out how to print uh, magnetism. So they're actually able to print patterns and forces of magnets. So mm -hmm. think of it like a, like a, like a keyway, right? So you have a key that slides in. Well, now if you have two magnets and normally the polarities, they won't touch each other. They'll repel it against each other, right? Right. Well, if you turn this magnet a certain way because the pattern that they've printed on it, it'll pull it in, right? Yeah. And now it will go. So it, it can you can have like a keyless lock out of it. I mean, there's so many different things. You just think about a cabinet, right? Like how a cabinet closes, and if you turn a knob, just a quarter turn to the right, now that will attract each other instead of repel. Mm -hmm. So it closes and closes shut. So I don't know, you know, I just I look at magnets because of you know what I do for a living, and you know, electric motors or magnets, basically giant magnets, energized magnets that for you know turn rotating equipment yeah um and i i think that with that the way that they they're able to manipulate this magnetism now and actually print it into any shape or design or pattern that there could be potentially something there you know maybe the battery charges a gate that picks up and then all of a sudden you've got you know opposite polarities driving a bolt down yeah. this way and then once it hits to a certain point the pattern you know changes or guides it back to its you know starting point i don't know mm -hmm. i just think there's uh there's something there so maybe looking yeah. at that if you're uh you want to do like i said dork out and uh, go down a rabbit hole <laughs> because i mean it, uh, <laughs> i'm not an engineer by by no means but the bolt itself the primary purpose of the bolt itself is just to move the one ball out of the way to drop in the next right it's really the the, the air propulsion mm -hmm. of that that sends the ball out not necessarily the bolt Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I a pathway for air. I yeah. Like I said, I'm not an engineer either. So yeah, I don't know. maybe I'm just saying stupid shit right now. <laughs> but no, it's 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 possible. I mean, who knows, dude? I mean, it's I, I I think it's something that's I think companies should look into. That's for sure. Yeah, I just know that the the fact that they can now they're starting to be able to print magnetic patterns will change the way things are made and manufactured and work and done. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you think about most of the things, right? Like what are the biggest, like with what you do, bearings are usually the biggest problem because there's friction and there's wear, right? Mm -hmm. Well, think if you could print the outer race of a bearing with a certain pattern and then the housing it sits in with another pattern. So now it sits there floating and it's more of a guide Right, and you've just removed all friction from the equation. What do you think that does to the life of that motor? Well, do you think that that would change the actual the the axial thrust of that? That that you know is a good question. I don't know. Like I said, you'd have to have you'd have to be able to put enough force behind the polarities that it would be locked in place. You right. know, right. So that's that's one of those engineer questions. Once again, <laughs> exactly. Wrong, <laughs> wrong freaking guy for that one. But, <laughs> I just know that it was a new a new developing tech that they're you know is emerging and, and could potentially change a lot of things. That's yeah. very intriguing cool. though. Yeah. That's that's yeah, I'll definitely have to look into that. But yeah, there's all kinds of all kinds of stuff. Let me ask you a question. Uh, mm, yes. How you So you've played Ten Man. Right. How do you how are you liking this whole uh this throwback or this comeback of this this old school format? I think 
I think it's great. I, I love, I love more. I love more the 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 community of people that come around to play it rather than the the ten man game itself. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like I like the mechanical. I think it's fun. I mean, it's definitely fun. It wouldn't be as fun if I had to shoot an autococker, but because I get to shoot an emec, I'm totally 100% down for it. I love it. <laughs> um, but I think the the downfall for me, not maybe not the downfall, but just a, a downside for me, is. Uh, I've always been a player that's not the most patient in the world, and mm-hmm. it, it's it's tough for me to kind of just sit there and do nothing for long for th- four minutes, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and, and kind of do nothing. So that's kind of the only the only thing that that sucks. Other than that, I love the community that gets together and plays. I, I love being able to shoot that emac. I love the the fields that that you can play. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like how much cheating there still is. Mm-hmm. Because I know there's still a lot of it. Because there, there can only be you with 20 players on the field. You only have half of that in refs, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really tough to kind of gauge um, the honor system with people playing. Because I, I know that you know if being a paintball player myself, if you can get away with it, I know people are going to try it, and it's going to happen yeah. no matter what. So it's. It's really tough to kind of take, you know, because I think a lot of people are taking it serious too. So, you know, when you come to these tournaments and there's still that, that fudge factor of, of people getting away with shit, it makes it real tough to, um, because it, I mean, everything costs money. So when you, when mm. you're putting, pouring all this money and time into this, this thing that's still fun, but also competitive, when you still see people cheating and getting away with shit and doing some of the things that, you know they wouldn't be able to like let's say at the top tournament scene at the moment it gets frustrating um mm-hmm. but uh but but to me it's it it's like playing seven man because really that's kind of what it is within the first couple minutes of the game usually you're at seven on seven anyway so mm-hmm. you know so it's kind of it's fun for me i i really like the the hyperball stuff because mm-hmm. i'm still so tournament oriented um mm-hmm. the woods are fun the only thing that and i sound like i'm bitching but i'm really trying not to i'm just kind of looking at all the 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 pros and cons of everything but the, for me being a front player who always has to throw my body into it it's really mm-hmm. it, it's always such a risk playing on some of the woods fields because you you know if you if you misstep and you don't see a route or you you dive into a a, a stick sticking sticking up or something like that. I, I always tell people at the ICC last year, um, which I hope happens this year. I haven't seen, and maybe it's the age of people, but I don't think it is. It could be a little bit of a factor, but I haven't seen more people limping around from tent to tent than I did at <laughs> at ICC. Um, it was. Uh, but it, it was so much fun. But it's just like there's no regard for your body because everybody's having so much fun. But I think that I think ten man in the woods is the most dangerous thing that you could possibly do as a front player. Did you ever practice at a Bob Long's personal field? Once or twice. Because that was the most dangerous. Thing. Or, Modesto <laughs> was not that far behind. <laughs> Dude, I got impaled by a stake out there. Oh at Bob Long's practice, I think I think it was Kenny Rosenberg that broke his or blew out his knee because there was a stake sitting on the ground. Oh jeez! Oh, there, yeah, that place was a 
I loved it. I mean, I, I, we got right. pissed. So as Cat Factory, that's where we would practice most of the time, and Bob Long would just, you know, beat the crap out of us. And I think that's one of the reasons why we, we became successful is because we were willing to just get our asses handed to us and, and learn, you know, from those guys. Right. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was, it was dangerous, dude. Yeah. Very dangerous. The woods are, the woods Oof. are dangerous too, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember at, uh, this, this last ICPL, we were mm-hmm. playing on the woods field and in I started Florida? to go down. Yeah. In Florida in January. And I started to go down through this center kind of area and I remember looking down the footing of this little hill and everything was so jacked up. I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to go that way. So I, I turned left and went a different route to get where I wanted to go. Cause I was yeah. like, nope. <laughs> uh, the path of least resistance. That's for sure. I felt the cheating was better at this one. Uh, there was less of it okay. than, than the first one. I felt like, cause I played the first, first ICPL last year, ICC last year. And then I, I missed the second one. Yes, the dog's it. Uh, sorry. No good. I played the second one. Um, but I didn't play the second ICPL. I played the, the, you know, just this last one in January. So looking at, you know, the difference from the first ICPL to the last one. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I felt there was big strides in the right direction for them. Um, you know, because like you said, there's there's people out there that play the gray area, which, you know, everybody. You know, it's going to happen. Tournament yeah. at, at a high level, people play the gray area. There's a difference in playing, at least to me, in playing the gray area and just straight going to the dark side, right? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like at the last ICPL, not not many people were going to the dark side. And, right. you know, people will dive hits off if you shoot them on the run and lesser rough sees that. Mm-hmm. But that's, that still happens in tournaments, right? Right. You know, obviously it's, it's harder to get away with stuff when you're playing in the current pro format, but... I do feel like it is making strides in the right direction and, and improving. I mean, even the field times, the way they were ran, you know, from the first event to this last one, mm-hmm. you know, Tim's event too, all the fields were on time or ahead of schedule, you know. Um, I think the only way they can really, really kind of discourage cheating at those events because, you know, you can't have 20 refs out there. Right. It, um, would be to really really punish the guys that are, are, are really pushing the envelope out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to make it so it's not fun and ruin anybody's time because this is people spending their own money to go to these things for the most part. Um, but everyone should understand that if you're going to cross that line too much that you're going to you get caught for it, there's going to be a negative impact, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like at ICC, they're not going to name a team. <laughs> out there but there was a team that was at ICC last year that was just I mean just doing anything they could get away with you know I watched a guy AC Dallas get rid- I-, I didn't want to name teams <laughs> <laughs> allegedly <laughs> allegedly I have no affiliation with anybody so yeah. I, can, I can and I know you know I know some of them and I like them so yeah yeah exactly them. same but I watched a guy on a, you know get rid of two goggle hits in the same game Jeez. and then he got hit a third time and tried to run away to a different spot and i was like dude really like come on man <laughs> like that is just that's crossing the line big yeah one, right like I, 
So for me, I'm a player who's terrible at cheating, so I just really don't do it. You yep. can ask Travis Manski how bad I'm at it, because uh, definitely got him pulled on one of the few times I tried to, <laughs> to cross that dark side. Yeah, but I also did get away with some stuff. Yeah, well, that, I mean, of course. But, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, like I said, it, you know, there's a, to me, there's a difference in the gray area. You know, like I dove on, I, you know, I'll dive on stuff if I feel it, you know, hit me as I'm running, of course. Right. But when it becomes routine is when it becomes a problem. Yeah, taking my hand and wiping a hit, like I seriously have done that less than five times in my in my career, and I got caught probably on two out of the four times I tried it. Uh-huh. I just was, I was just such an idiot. <laughs> like I was like, yeah, I can't do this, so <laughs> I stopped trying. Right? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but you know, when you're watching a guy do that, you know, not once but twice in the same game, it's just like, come on, bro. Like, right. You know, you, you got you got you got smoked the same guy now a third time and you're going to run away like, dude. And that in that same match, we watched several, you know, at least two other guys get rid of hits. And it's just like, dude, come on. Right. Like that. I'm not trying to, you know, preach from a, from the high podium or anything like that, you know, but. Well, there was definitely there a ruckus at the I remember at the event because I don't I didn't remember what happened. But I mean, I remember people like really being upset at something that was going on and uh well, and then i heard and, afterwards i was like jesus there was some all LA, LA guys out there you know there's a guy named frank connell i don't know if you've heard of him but uh mm. sometimes he gets a little mad out there and he was uh, a little upset about them cheating i don't even actually you know what i take that back i don't even know if it was frank you know he would have been it would have been justified you know his, he was his, yeah yeah <laughs> i like frank I think yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there was a commotion because of uh, they were, I think AC Dallas knocked the All Americans out, so they're already pissed mm-hmm. off. It. I don't know if anything happened in that match between them, but right. they were All Americans were yelling at them from the sidelines. And AC Dallas got pissed off and yelling back. And I think somebody shot the netting or something. I don't know. I don't know. Good old shenanigans. I can pay ball yeah. players, right? Yeah, dude. I mean, coming up from SC Village, I watched people get tanked. You know, people getting choked on the field. Like, you know, if you cross lines with the old school guys back in the day, you, you better be ready to answer to it. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, dude. It was, it was a lot different back then. I mean, the premise was the same: do your job, get out there, you know, play your ass off. But uh, I think the consequences were a little bit different. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I think it was Avalanche. And- Dynasty. I don't even think they were Dynasty at the time. I think they might have been Iron Kids or Cap Factory, but those two teams were practicing each other at Essie Village, and I, I think I was on a rookie team at this time. But I remember a fight breaking out, and Chris Osoya tackles Brian Cole, who's I think probably like 16 years old at the time. BC is. It <laughs> starts choking him by the throat and shaking the shit out of him on the ground. <laughs> I. I I could be wrong uh, on it being BC, but I, I I think it was BC back then mm-hmm. that, that uh, Chris started joking. Yeah, I could see no. I could see it being BC or Johnny Perchak. Yeah, I don't think Johnny was on the team back then. No, uh-uh. Johnny Johnny joined him when they were Dynasty, I think, because mm-hmm. I think at that time he was on Out of Control with uh, Dave Baines. I remember Johnny being he was he liked talking shit. He liked stirring the pot a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least in seven man, I remember that. Yeah, but yeah. he's a good, he's a good yeah. dude. I I had no oh, I, yeah. no I really had no quarrels with 
I, very few, very, very few people during yeah, my I, career. Yeah, me too. And I'm trying to even really like think back. I know, who was it? Uh, Evil Factory. When we were Cat Factory, we hated Evil Factory. But, I mean, dude, like, I've seen some of those guys since then. And, you know, I, yeah. I don't hold any ill will. And it's good to see them, you know? Like, right. It's just on the field stuff. But, mm-hmm. There was, yeah, especially out of SC Village. There was, I watched a couple different guys get hit in the heads with tanks, you know. And <laughs> just, yeah, Not by their so, own tank? No, no. Uh, yeah, fights breaking out and getting literally tanked by another guy. Have you ever Sweet. had, a, like, a close call like that where you, like, like injured yourself, like, diving or had, like, a, a your own, like, tank yourself or any kind of injury? Like, I know I had one where I was, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but I have a pretty decent scar oh, yeah. that yeah, goes yeah, from like it. here all the way up. That was a that was a stake that was broke off at Badlands that wasn't taken out. That yeah. it just sliced my hand up. Well, I got a hole in the back of my right leg from where I got staked at Bob Long's house. Like I literally was diving into a corner and it staked me in the back of my thigh and put a hole in me. I literally still have like a dent. Oh my like, god! You can see a little bit of a hole still there. Yeah. Um, but as far as, you know, uh, tank incidents or anything like that, you know, I, I walked on my bunkers or I, I run in standing <laughs> up and, uh, say. maybe, maybe do a commando roll from time to time. <laughs> no, uh, the safe no, routes. I never, yeah, you know, I, I had probably the occasional one, you know, a couple times where you dive and the gun just sticks to the dirt yep. and blasts out. I did have, oh, I, I dislocated my left shoulder. Um, my first World Cup diving into a 50 when I was on Whackers, uh, I, I, you know, barrel corked the ground, mm-hmm. and the gun literally just stuck, and my whole shoulder just jammed up and popped oh. out. But I had dislocated my right shoulder three different times snowboarding, so mm-hmm. it, it luckily it popped right back in, and I knew what it was, and so I just finished the game. Hurt like son of a bitch, but yeah. <laughs> other than that, nothing. You know, I had uh, a scare within, with my left knee. Something slid and made a noise, and yeah. I uh, all of a sudden I had to fall to the ground and couldn't really put weight on it for a couple of weeks, but didn't have insurance or anything, so I never went to the doctor. Right, that, <laughs> same thing with me playing. <laughs> yeah, uh, dude, it was so scary. Like thinking about thinking about it back then, I was like, man, if I would have got seriously injured, I was living off of paintball, and paintball did not have a medical plan at yeah. all so that yeah. was like i was super super lucky back then yeah i mean so i was riding mountain bikes uh, like pretty regularly for a while we were riding like really aggressive downhill stuff you know mm-hmm. we're full face mask stuff like that and uh i had just been promoted to president of the company i worked for and my wife was pregnant with our second and uh we're out riding the backside of laguna canyon which is this really steep downhill like people come from around the world to ride it because it's a good training. Like it's, you know, it's really dangerous. Yeah. Anyways, we're off to the side because we we pull off to the side to walk our lines to you know pick our line through this crazy rock section, mm-hmm. the steep rock section. And as we're off to the side, kind of looking at you know what, what path we want to take, this guy comes barreling around the corner and starts charging down and just eat shit right and oh. starts screaming on the ground and we go over there one of the, one of my buddies I ride with is an EMT and so he starts going through all the questions and yeah uh, 
he basically figured out that he had broken his hip and his pelvic bone. Oh my God. Go. So we had to call nine one one and helicopter comes and lifts him out of there. And I was like, oof. All right. Very next weekend we go up to Idlewild, which is, you know, another really fun downhill place and uh we were in a cabin, a bunch of uh, <clears throat> a bunch of us in the first day or the second day? Second day we're there. Uh I'm following Jesse down. You remember Jesse Lyon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's one of the guys I ride with. And uh, our other buddy, Scott, and they're like the two fastest guys. And so they're the first two, and I'm trying to chase them down. We get down to a clearing, like a good stopping point. We're sitting there, sitting there, waiting. Uh-oh. So we go back up the mountain, you know, start running back up the mountain. And uh, sure as shit, my buddy who was EMT from the weekend before – had fallen and landed perfectly on a rock and had uh, shattered his knee and his uh, top of his tibia. Oh. And, uh, yeah, so we had to call because uh, we couldn't get him down the mountain. We had to call the fire department. They couldn't even get him a helicopter into where he was at, so they had to bring this, like, human wheelbarrow up the mountain <laughs> and wheel him down the mountain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just remember getting down and going, okay, I just got promoted to president of the company. My wife's pregnant with a second. Start evaluating everything. Yeah, like, I, if I, I can't go down like this right now, you know? Well, it just reminded me of that because, you know, talking about paintball and Oof. how we didn't have insurance and, you know, what you would do. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't know what the hell I would have done. Um, but um, last thing I want to I want to kind of get into you, uh, I have a few little um, – little superstitions that, that I usually did before I played and, and, uh, and, and before I geared up or whatever. And do you have any like little ticks like that or anything that you specifically had to do before you stepped on a, on a, on a tournament field or even playing paintball in general? Like, did you have to, you know, put your pack on before this or your, your, your headgear did it have to go on a certain way or you had to redo it or you have anything like that? Um, no, not that specifically. There are certain things I like to do. Like, uh, I like to listen to Slayer and headphones mm-hmm. before I would play, especially re- this song called Rise Ghost of War. I liked <laughs> to listen to that song specifically right before a match. Um, and that, like, I guess, was more probably X-Ball than Seven Men or anything. Yeah. And then I, I always liked the feeling of wrapping my wrist and my hands with tape. Because yeah. I, I never liked wearing gloves. I did not like to wear gloves, but Same. I did something about the ritual of wrapping your hands with, with tape. It's kind of a, a calming, uh, meditative moment for me yeah. that I enjoy doing. But those are probably the two, the two big things, you know, mm-hmm. I was always pretty calm as a player. Like I remember, uh, where were we? I don't know if we we're in the finals or what we were at some tournament. I think it was excessive. And it, yeah, it was, and, uh, I'm standing in this, the, you know, at the gate getting ready to, to play the point and, um, and Rusty starts dry heaving, right? Just, he, you played with Rusty, you know, yeah. he, like his, that's his nervous reaction. Like yeah. some people have to pee before they play, like, you know, some guys start dry heaving, Rusty would dry heave and, uh, and Shane Harrison, because he was dry heaving, like it rattled Shane Harrison's nerves. And then <clears throat> probably because he, uh, the the gag reflex or watching mm-hmm. rusty dry heave he starts dry heaving and gagging and i'm standing there looking at these two guys 
And JR walks up and he's like, Jesus fucking fucking Christ, guys. He's like, act like you've fucking been here before. Get your shit together. (laughs) (laughs) I just started busting up laughing. Like, I I don't know. I never had like those, uh, I guess the nerves really. Yeah. Never never really got rattled too easily. Got nervous. So, yeah, I was, my nerves eventually settled down, but I started to build rituals. All the things I named were all things that I that I did until I retired. Like I had to put my pack and my every, I had to put everything on before my headgear. And if my headgear didn't feel right, it threw me off. Like I, I head fucked myself and I was like because usually I get it within the first try and if I, if I don't then it's like what's going on? What's the deal? Now I'm going to be ball one. I'm yep, be ball yeah, one. I don't know what the fuck <laughs> is going on, but it needs to stop right now. You know, I had to put my uh I had to take put my cleats on and everything on before my pants. I, I carried like certain things in my gear bag with me since I first started playing paintball. I had these little certain like thing. I, I'm such a fucking weirdo with some of that stuff, but I don't consider myself now very superstitious, but I like things. I like, I like little trinkets. I like little, I, I give like, I, I'm not a hoarder or anything, but I just like certain oddities that are just not, normal i guess yeah no we all you know we all have our ways of doing things and there's no wrong or right way it's just whatever works for you as an individual you know to get you in that place right yeah so yeah yeah whatever I'm you gotta do well dude on that note thank you so much man i really appreciate you taking the time away from the family and and uh you know away from this hectic kind of craziness in the world that's going on to be able to sit down and uh kind of give you two cents on everything i appreciate it thanks for having me on man i'm always i still love paintball i'm always down to talk about it so anytime buddy absolutely well take care of yourself and uh hopefully we'll see you sometime sometime soon like at a at a 10-man event if paintball even happens this year yeah i'm planning on going to icc this year with dynasty again and then uh ICPL second event with uh, Cap Factory, so I'm hoping. Nice, yeah, Is yeah. It? I'm hoping too. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I'm playing for a team. I think I'm playing with Infamous. I have no idea yet. Do it. Probably get Do confirmation. It. I want to go regardless. Yeah, so, well, we'll see. I'll just show up with my gear if I don't have a team and just hold up a sign that says free agent. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone picked you up, but... We'll see. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate it. Have a good night. All right, you too. All right, later. Later. Thank you so much, Roy. I appreciate the conversation, my friend. Uh, I hope to see you after all this chaotic craziness uh, at an ICC or an ICPL or some kind of uh, mechanical event or just anything in general. I, I, I really love that dude. He's a, he's a great guy, and... Um, it's cool to see him kind of coming back in the scene with the whole mechanical thing. It's uh, it's really cool. A big shout-out to our sponsors. Uh, make sure to head over to playingonpodcast.com, brought to you by Constant Pursuit, uh, and to check out any info coming up as far as guests or if you have any questions uh, or would you, any comments or anything you would like or information that you would like, you can go ahead and, and uh, shoot an email that way and we can uh, we can get on it for you. But, uh, but yeah, Charm City Paintball. Head games, headbands, all kinds of stuff. Uh, I have in my hands right now a American flag headband that he made for me uh, that I thoroughly enjoy. And it's, um, 
they're awesome, man. I just, I just can't. I, I, you know, it's hard to explain how much it means to have like to be comfortable in headgear, no matter what you're wearing. If it's just a beanie, or if it's a headband, or if it's a sandana, or whatever it is. Like for me, it was always you have to be comfortable. It has to sit right. It has to feel right, and uh, and and that's what his uh, that's what his stuff does. It, it's it's got a good thickness to it. It has uh, the the material holds up. It wears well, and it's just it's a great product. So make sure you check it out. Head over to his Facebook or his Instagram, and uh, and throw a couple uh, a couple inquiries his way. See what you think. I promise you will not be disappointed. Uh, we are also brought to you by Melavio, the CBD company who has all kinds of goodies at uh, at their online store up and running right now and uh, he also has some curbside pickup if you are local to him uh, he has that flashing across the screen right now but yeah I use a lot of the topical I also use the flower um, and the uh, and the honey and I've, I've tried a few different products of his and I, I recommend them all the time to everybody because it's just it's it works it's nice it's natural and it's it's just a great product and it works that's the main thing. There's no big, huge corporation behind this thing. It's it's him, and uh, and he just he wants to help people out, and uh, and he does, and it's a really good thing. And he helps a lot of PayPal teams out there too. So uh, so a big shout out to to Sam over at uh, Melivio. But uh, but also thank you to everybody listening. Greatly appreciate it. Hope you guys are staying safe. I hope you guys are uh, using protection in all the right ways uh, during this time and just make sure to stay inside you know as much as we love this sport make sure you <clears throat> excuse me keep the distance <clears throat> and um, just out of respect of the uh, the older generations the younger generations the just out of everybody and people in general make sure you just do it out of respect and, and, and wanting to help everybody out because uh, because we're relying on each other and we need each other so so thank you to everybody listening. Appreciate it. Please do not text and drive. Listen to podcasts like this one. And uh, and we'll see you here again soon on the Playing On Podcast. Peace. <laughs>